0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, now I thank you for these past several months we've had together in uh, your Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Thank you for all the messages that we've been able to meditate on and learn from, Lord, and now, as we wrap things up, uh, inspire us by your spirit uh, to understand the, the full message of the letter in these final bits, that they might apply to our lives and learn to love you and love each other more dearly in all the world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, the problems right now in our society with religion or spirituality, um, just religion in general, is that uh, it's often privatized. I I saw this particularly when I was living in New England. That was kind of a thing, but I'm noticing that that's a, a thing here in the South, too, that people tend to be Guarded about a lot of things um, and and maintain privacy. And so when it comes to things like politics or religion or big things, it's sort of like it's none of your business, right? Unless I, I know you really well. But even then, you know, it's still perhaps none of your business. Um, and uh, I guess I've seen this my whole life, but particularly I saw it in New England and I, I see it here in the South. And for cultural reasons, that tends to be true. But it's, it's happening more and more in our society at large because the idea of spirituality is growing. And spirituality, for a lot of people, when they talk that way, it tends to be an individualized endeavor. You know, this is the thing that works for me. Uh, it might not work for you, but this works for me, and you, you've got your own thing. Um, and uh, you know, never the two shall meet in between, or it doesn't really even matter. And unfortunately, this kind of thinking has crept into the church uh, over the, the years in American society. This type of uh, thinking has crept into Christianity, but First Corinthians speaks against a private Christianity. First Corinthians speaks against a privatized Christianity. That's because Christianity is communal and it's relational. Of course, it matters to each of us as individuals, and there are certain aspects of it that you know are really important to us as individuals. Uh, we each repent and make a choice for the Lord on our own. But part of that repentance is coming into the church, uh, into the body, and that is a, a big theme with Paul's letter uh, to the, the first letter here uh, to our Corinthian, uh, to the Corinthians. And our passage uh, today demonstrates what this looks like. We've seen it demonstrated all along, but I like tonight's passage. These bits at the end of letters sometimes you feel like you know it's just sort of uh, he's sort of uh, throwing everything in there. You know, there's a verse or two for kind of everything. I think it would help. I'm not going to hit on everything, but it would help to just sort of do a, a sort of a, a whirlwind tour through our passage really quickly. If you want to pull out your Bible or find it there in your bulletin, this is chapter 16, uh, verses 12 through 24. And he says, uh, I mean, it's almost like. Th- If you're looking at your Bible, there's the paragraphs, but actually the paragraphs aren't even helpful because sometimes within the paragraph there's 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 two or three topics. But here uh, he's talking about Apollos in the the first paragraph there, verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. What's going on here? Apollos, remember, was a big topic in the first four chapters of this letter. Apollos is a fellow pastor like Paul, and he came come to Corinth after Paul, and a lot of people really liked him because of his speaking abilities. Uh, he was more articulate than Paul, and that was a big value for the Corinthian society. And so people started dividing themselves into camps based on pastors. I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, I'm for Cephas, Paul says there. Now, Apollos didn't like that. Even though people were identifying with him, Apollos, uh, like Paul, wouldn't have liked this going on. And Apollos knows about that. And what do we see here? He's not ready to come back to Corinth, probably because he's upset about this. He needs to give it some time. They need to read this letter and be confronted by what they're doing. And then maybe in due time, uh, Apollos will come back to Corinth and visit them. With the other brothers, that's probably referring to in the previous verses, Timothy is coming to them. And later we see uh, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus are from Corinth in Ephesus with Paul. They're probably going to go back to Corinth. And Paul is urging Apollos to go with them. And he's saying, I'm not ready yet uh, because of what they've done uh, in my name. That is blasphemy. They should be boasting in, in the Lord only, but some of them are boasting to be in my camp. And then he says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. This has to do with two things, maturity and love. The first thing there in verse 13, you know, act like a man, what he's saying is grow up. Stop being infants. That was a topic earlier in the letter. You're behaving like infants in Christ. You're immature in the faith. Because you do things like divide yourselves uh, in these camps based on... uh, teachers, Uh, And so he's saying, instead, stand firm in the faith of Jesus Christ. Be watchful that Christ is going to return. Boast in these things. Be thinking about these things. And out of that flows uh, a a love. And that's been a huge topic of this letter is, is love. Let all that you do be done in love. If there's one verse that's worth memorizing, maybe from the whole letter, but in tonight's passage, it's there, verse 14. Everything that he's been hitting on all along the principle of love is, is either uh, behind the scenes or right there up front in places like chapter 13. And then he says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. And there's actually, it probably would have been better to put a paragraph break right there, um, there, these are some of the first converts uh, in the church there. In the, Achaia is the region where Corinth is in Greece. They're some of the first converts, and they're probably leaders in the church. And they're the type of people you want to be your leaders because they're, they're selfless. They're, they have a servant's heart. Everything that they, they're doing is in service. And he's saying, be subject to people like this. And not as we'll read in 2 Corinthians, if you read that letter on your own. We're not going there uh, next week. We're going to take a break from Corinthians. We're going to spend some time with Luke. Uh, but if you were to, to read 2 Corinthians, there are people called, he calls the super apostles who creep in. Don't be subject to these uh, teachers who are stirring up division. Be, be subject to the servants, like the household of Stephanus. And then he even says... He, he illustrates how Stephanus made the trip from Corinth to Ephesus, which in our day, you know, you could probably fly there in an hour on some budget airline, uh, but back then, you know, it would have still been a, a really a tough journey. And Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus come to Ephesus to visit Paul, and he says, they've refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Here you see that communal body life, Uh, that is ideal for the brothers and sisters in Christ, that they long to see each other. And so much so that Paul is reminded of them by just seeing the few people from Corinth. He's reminded of the whole community of Corinth, and they've refreshed uh, his spirit. And then he goes on to greetings in verse 19. He says, "...the churches in Asia send your greetings, Aquila and Prisca together uh, with the uh, church in their house send you hearty greetings." In the Lord, all the brothers send you greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, Asia was the western part of what's now Turkey. It's kind of misleading because you think of places like China and Mongolia and, you know, the eastern part of Russia. That's not what he's talking about. It's a, it's a province of Rome that's really just the western part of Turkey. And that's where Ephesus is. And he's saying a bunch of people from the region are, are greeting you. A lot of them probably even never been to Corinth. They've never even met these people before. Prisca and Aquila have. Remember, they used to live in Corinth. Uh, They were tent makers like Paul, some of the first people he met in Corinth. And now they're with him in Ephesus. And their old friends, uh, Aquila and Prisca, are sending them greetings. Uh, All the churches, all the brothers in the region are sending you greetings. Uh, and even I, Paul, because Sosthenes was the guy who 's actually writing this letter who 's being the scribe for him, Paul goes out of his way in this verse to take up the pen in his messy handwriting and write that one sentence. I also send greetings to you i 'm going to in this verse, it means so much to me that i 'm going to write it with my my own hand, and because the greeting and greetings in the Brotherhood is such a big deal, you too. You Corinthians should be greeting each other with a holy kiss. That's like us shaking hands, or you know, giving a side hug, double pat, Christian hug. That's the that's what he's talking about. Uh, greet with a holy kiss is just sort of in their culture what they would have done. And then finally, I Paul write this greet. Oh, sorry, I've already mentioned that. Write this greeting in my own hand. And then verse 22: If anyone has love for the Lord, let, has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you. All in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul is setting at the very end a division. There are those who are accursed in the Lord, who have no love for the Lord, and there are those who have love for the Lord who can't wait for the Lord to return. Uh, The the, the, uh, Aramaic word that's there is is Maranatha, which means our Lord uh, come, is a prayer that he would come again Uh, because uh, of this love, he also sends his love in Christ to them. Okay, there are three big themes here, really. There's the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, You see it there with the things like the Maranatha, our Lord, come. There's also the grace of God. And related to that, there's the love between those in the church. And really, uh, the return of uh, Christ our Lord is uh, the context for understanding the whole letter, for understanding everything about where we are in history, that we've already been redeemed, that we're in the already but not yet, and Christ is going to come again. But the two main themes I want to really draw out are God's grace, and related to that our love for each other. Well, what is grace? Grace is basically love for unlovable people. Uh, love for unlovable people. It's, it means gift. In the Greek, it's a a gift that you don't deserve, that we don't deserve. And this has been a theme in the letter all along. You see in chapter 1, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And later in uh, chapter 1, he also says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, love for the unlovable. In chapter 3, he said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Even the work that Paul has is gift. And then chapter 4, he said, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So reminding them that even their spiritual gifts, the things that um, they're talented in, are gifts uh, from God. In our passage today, we learn in verses 21 and 22 that although we're uh, deserving to be accursed on our own, because without, uh, without God's intervention in our lives, all of us are enemies of God all of us had at some point in our lives no love for God, that we are deserving of being accursed on our own, but uh, the grace of Jesus is with us and has been given to us, which is how we can therefore be watchful, stand firm, act like men or act like grown-ups and be strong. We can only do those things because of the grace of God providing for us. So that's the grace. That God's at work in the Corinthians' lives. He's at work in your lives. Uh, The the things that you have, everything that you have for that matter, your whole life has been a gift from God, but especially your faith in him has been given to you. And then the theme of love for each other, which basically flows out of the grace. Uh, This is related to that theme of grace. And as a matter of fact, after verses 23 and 24, we have the ending where he says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus, is the final note. After stating the grace of God, also his own love flows out of it. And after verse 13, we see that a verse that I said you might want to memorize, let all that you do be done in love. Uh, and This is uh, perhaps the, uh, the key verse for today that I really want to draw out. Uh, And that doing, let all that you do be done in love basically describes so much of the letter, the topics of this letter. Uh, Think about the leadership in the church that I've already mentioned, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and the household of Stephanas, that your leaders would be doing it in love. The proclamation of the word of Christ, service and deference for each other in the body of Christ. Uh, Even the hoped-for result of when he talks about excommunication. Remember back when we were talking about uh, kicking the man out of the church for a time? He said the reason to do this is so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That even things like excommunication would be done in love. Or handling of disputes and lawsuits. uh, uh, Without lawsuits for that matter. topics related to marriage and singleness and widowhood, surrendering our rights, avoiding idolatry so that we wouldn't lead others astray, uh, dressing modestly amongst each other, taking the Lord's Supper together, uh, using our spiritual gifts, giving of money for famine relief, traveling to visit brothers and sisters in Christ and serving each other and putting each other at ease and greeting each other. All of this is to be done in the Spirit and uh, with the principle of love. And the Greek word for love is agape, at least here where it's used. And this means self-sacrificing love. I mean, don't think about the, the things that you see in popular culture when people are talking about love. That's, what we're not, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, agape is, is self-sacrifice, that kind of love. Just as God loved us uh, by his grace and uh, saved us through his son, Jesus Christ... Uh, so too ought we to respond by loving uh, others in this sort of agape way. If I don't have agape but do very good things, as he said in chapter 13, I'm still just a banging gong and a clanging cymbal. You know, the things from all outward appearances might look good, but if they're not done in this spirit of love with that agape self-sacrifice... I'm just a, a banging gong and a clanging cymbal. I'm just—I'm making noise. Uh, there's just one major problem with the story of the Corinthians, though. It actually has a sad ending. They seem to have forgotten who they are by God's grace, and they were unable to love each other in the ways Paul described. And we know this because of an early church letter by a bishop in Rome at the end of the first century, so just decades after Paul is writing, this guy named Clement, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians. It's the kind of thing if you, like me, you go to seminary, they make you read. And I, I don't remember the whole letter, but I looked it up to remind myself of it, that he wrote this letter, and basically as you read it, he's... Clement is saying the same dang things that Paul was saying to them. They haven't learned. <laughs> Actually, he's he's calling them out on the carpet for, for doing the same sort of stuff. Here's a description uh, that I found of, of Clement's letter and then a, a quote from it. A feud had broken out. Remember, this is just decades after 1 and 2 Corinthians. A feud had broken out in the church. Ministers appointed by the apostles or their immediate successors had been unlawfully deposed. Clement's attempts to deal with the situation are recorded. He mentions that certain men were unjustly thrust out of their ministries. And he reminds them that they will not find any record where righteous men were ever thrown out by holy men. Evidently, they kicked out the handpicked successors of the apostles in Corinth." Um, and uh, he calls them to repentance and uh, tells them about this and says, you better, you, you better go back and read 1 Corinthians. It isn't called that, but he says, um, uh, read the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote you. And, it, the, and he mentions people like Apollos and whatnot. And so it's very clear that he's citing 1 Corinthians, that they still have the letter, saying, remind yourself of what that letter said. And then he says this, you therefore that laid the foundation of this sedition, Submit yourselves unto the presbyters, that's the, uh, the pastors, and receive chastisement unto repentance. Bending the knee of your heart, learn to submit yourselves, laying aside the arrogant and proud stubbornness of your tongue. For it would be better for you to be found little in the flock of Christ and to have your name on God's roll than to be had in exceeding honor and yet cast from the hope of him." And so that that pride, that that individual pride, that grasping that's been there from the beginning of 1 Corinthians uh, still uh, remains. And he warns them of this and that it's not loving. It's not done in a spirit of love. It's not self-sacrificing or selfless. It's selfish. Uh, So much so that um, they're going against the will of the apostles and their appointed leaders to succeed them. Uh, One way to explain what happened in Corinth is that they were hearing Paul's words only, that they only heard Paul's words, but they didn't do uh, what was told to them. And not only, uh, when we see this as as a problem in the New Testament, not only did James say, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, but Jesus also said very similar things. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? And if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he said elsewhere. Uh, One of the main things that Jesus commanded is to love each other as he loved us with his grace. One of the main things that Jesus commanded uh, that we not just hear but do uh, is that we love each other as he loved us in a gracious way, in a graceful way. Uh, And the uh, Corinthians were the original hearers of the best biblical treatment of the topic of love. But it seems that the word of uh, chapter 13 stopped at their hearing. And so I want to turn the story of the Corinthian church on us. I want to turn this, this whole story of the Corinthian church that I've tried to retell, that we've been reading all of these past eight or nine months, back on us, because we, like them, are a church. Uh, The Advent, broadly speaking, or the 5 o'clock, more specifically, as a congregation. So there is, first of all, an example for us to avoid in the story of 1 Corinthians, and that is the Corinthian church itself. Uh, If you consider uh, the content of 1 and 2 Corinthians and also Clement's letter to them just decades later, That they're actually an example for us to avoid as a congregational body. We should heed what Paul says to them, but in terms of how things panned out, it's a sad story. That they hung on to their cultural norms more than being uh, renewed in their thinking as followers of Jesus. And they put selfish ambition before the the needs of the body. And they didn't love each other with a sort of agape love. They had what... uh, If they had, Clement wouldn't have needed to write his letter so many years later. Uh, But chapter 16 also gives us an example to follow instead of the general Corinthian church. If the general church in Corinth is the example not to follow, chapter 16 actually provides some specific examples to follow. First of all, Apollos, who is discerning and wise in the Lord, and boasts only in Jesus Christ and not in himself, and doesn't even like it when people are, are using his name in vain. Uh, the, the household of Stephanus, those first converts in Achaia, who are self-sacrificing in their leadership, and not only that, Stephanus himself, together with Fortunatus and Achaicus, travel far to Ephesus to serve and to spend time uh, with Paul. And they refresh his spirit. And also the churches elsewhere in Asia, outside of Ephesus, who sent all those greetings. And Aquila and Prisca, Priscilla, and Paul himself, who send those greetings, are all great examples for us of, uh, of uh, a loving in the way that uh, Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians. There's so much of an example to follow that Paul says, greet one another. After he talks about all their greetings, he says, you two greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, these people are all examples of us, of uh, what uh, Christ commanded when he talked about love, when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So ours, indeed, is not a private religion. Christianity is not a private religion. There might be private aspects of it, but for the most part, when you read something like 1 Corinthians, you see uh, that uh, it's a a communal endeavor. Uh, You might not even call it a religion as much as a way of understanding the world the way things are, of who God is, not only the creator, but who came to redeem us and is, is returning, um, that it's not uh, merely a spirituality to privatize. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, uh, but it's not a spirituality in the way that 21st century people talk about it. This is an understanding of where we are in history where history has been and where things are going. And now that we're here, uh, at this place in history, how are we to interact uh, with each other uh, and to, to have uh, lives that are, that are transformed and to live transformed lives together in a community uh, where we're loving each other, uh, where we're reminding each other of God's grace, of what he's done for us on the cross and the promises that we have that give us hope at the end of time. One of the best lines in uh, 1 Corinthians is in chapter 14. And this was uh, chapters 12 through 14. He was talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 about love falls right there in the middle, and it's still on that topic of spiritual gifts. Uh, And he ends that section uh, in part by saying this. He's talking about the congregation being together like we are here right now. He's saying, uh, when the congregation is together like this, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Friends, God is among us. God is among us as the body of Christ in the way that Paul described. So let us demonstrate that we believe this chiefly in how we speak with each other. That's what he's talking about when he says prophesy. It's basically speaking um, according uh, to God's word. It's not in the Old Testament way of uh, prophetic visions and, um, and, and uh, challenges, but prophesy here in chapter 14 just how we carry ourselves with each other and speak together uh, and how we behave And I hope that the love of God and our love for each other is so evident among us that when an unbeliever or outsider is with us, he is convinced by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God. Is that true for us? That something so different is happening here, that someone coming from the outside who's never met Jesus before says, I want that. I've got to have some of that. I want my life to be transformed in that way. I want to know the love of God, and I've seen it and understand it so clearly that now I can't help but to fall on my face and worship Him. Is is that true of us as a church? I've enjoyed our our study uh, through uh, First Corinthians, and if this uh, message of supernatural love for each other is all that you uh, take away, as I said. You know, that uh, verse, uh, what is it, Uh, 14, I think. If you want one memory verse from uh, 1 Corinthians, I think that's a good one. If this uh, message of supernatural love for each other is all that you take away is an implication from 1 Corinthians, that would be fine with me. You know, after eight months of studying, uh, if that's all that you took away from 1 Corinthians, that would be very good because not having it is what is exactly what got the Corinthians into trouble. And so I'll end in the same way that Paul did, his letter. I'll end these eight months that we've had together in 1 Corinthians in the same way that Paul did at the end of his letter by saying this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.